Hey, welcome to Java with Julie. I'm Julie Slattery, and I'm so glad that you've joined me. This podcast is a production of Authentic Intimacy, a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. One of the most common dynamics in marriage that can sabotage your sex life is when one spouse has a higher sex drive than the other. Now, a lot of times we'll talk about it being the husband who has a higher sex drive, but that's not always the case. I hear from a lot of wives who feel neglected and even undesirable because their husbands will never initiate sex. Today, we're going to talk about how to navigate differences in sexual desire. My guest is Dr. Corey Allen from Sexy Marriage Radio. That's a weekly podcast with straightforward, honest conversation about marriage, relationships, and sex. Corey and I are going to talk about how you can change the cycle of ask, rejection, and disappointment by changing the way you communicate with your spouse about what you're actually asking for. We're going to challenge you to think about the role that you play, both when sex happens in your marriage and when it's being avoided. And finally, we're going to talk specifically to the struggle for husbands and wives where the wife is the partner with a higher drive. I also want to mention that Dr. Allen will be my webinar guest this month. He's going to be taking questions live from you. And we're going to have that webinar Tuesday, January 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're an Authentic NFC member, keep an eye out for an invitation to join the webinar in your email and also on our Facebook group. And if you're not a member, this is a great reason to join. It's just $8 a month or $88 a year. And we will link to that membership information on our podcast page. Or you can just find it at AuthenticInimacy.com. Now let's head to the coffee shop with my guest, Dr. Corey Allen. So Corey, you and I have a lot in common. Yes. Uh, we're both passionate about helping the church talk about sex, which isn't an easy thing. And hasn't been done historically very well. <laughs> yeah. So our listeners know a little bit about my journey into why I became passionate about that topic. But how about you? Okay. So um, largely, it probably stems from our experience in my marriage of being raised I mean, the funny side of this, I kind of term it as I was born in the church Mm because I was raised um, by a father that was a minister and a mother who worked as a secretary in the church. So I think literally the delivery was maybe in the church. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's that element of the church in my upbringing was a whole lot of the unspoken, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And then when you say I do, now the whole world of sex and sexuality is supposed to be open to you. And you just can't flip that switch that yeah. quickly. So now I hear that a lot from women. Okay. I don't very often hear it from men other than my wife doesn't know how to flip the switch. But do men struggle with that as well? Well, I, it, okay. So for mine, it's not flipping the switch of desire or interest, which may I'm kind of a guessing, postulating that for women, it can be that element of I've yes. kind of squashed it down so much that I don't even know if I'm sexual mm-hmm. right, or, or how I'm supposed to respond for me, it was, how do I steer it mm-hmm. in better ways? How do I cultivate it and see it as it's actually something sacred? I pull from John Eldridge's work. Sometimes how we try to squash desire under the name of sanctification, rather than realizing you can't squash desire. Mm-hmm. I needed to steer it better. Mm-hmm. So for me, my personal experience was, going into that aspect of my marriage with my wife and my life as sexuality was how do I steer it, foster it, you know, treat it with respect 
and not let it veer off into the world of pornography and lust and all the other things that can so easily ensnare, mm -hmm. which was also part of my journey mm -hmm. is dealing with that. And so it's seeing that for me, it was, you know, you think it's going to be easy because it's romanticized yeah. in society. And then you realize when you get into it, sex is difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to be on the same page. It's hard for it not to be awkward. It's hard, you know, some things don't work like you thought they would. It wasn't as free flowing and simple. And, and maybe there was, so I immediately you kind of think, well, maybe there's something wrong rather than, no, I think there's actually, that's kind of a design, right? Yeah. That this isn't supposed to just be simple yes. until I grow up a little bit and how I deal with it and how I deal with me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people can identify with what you've shared so far in terms of getting married having struggles, feeling like there aren't any or many resources talking about how do I think through this. Right. But not many people take the step of saying, well, I want to talk about sex and I want to have a radio show that talks about sex. <laughs> okay. okay. So this was, uh, so I'm a marriage family therapist by training. And the seminal moment for me was, it was actually, it was a Thursday evening. I had four clients in my office, just back to back the entire evening. And all of them were in various states of major crisis. Mm -hmm. And on that night, three of the four chose to end their relationship in my office. Mm -hmm. And so I come home, and I don't think I was the cause of that. I think I might have just been a mechanism to help be honest about some of the stuff that's really been going on for a while. And I came home to Pam, and I said, "This is I didn't sign up for, this is rough, right? I don't like this. And so that kind of then led to a conversation and, and more thought processes of how do you reach people before there's problems, mm -hmm. right? And so that's when I started blogging and learned everything I could about blogging, started Simple Marriage. And then from there, I recognized anytime I wrote an article or anything about that hinted at or was in depth and upfront about sex, all kinds of comments and influx of interaction would happen, which then led to, we need to talk about this. Yeah. And so... I didn't want to be a solo dude talking about sex. And at that point, being married to a CPA, she was not <laughs> willing to be on the air with uh -huh. me. And so I found a colleague I had collaborated with in the blogging world that she was a sexuality coach. So she came on board and we launched Sexy Marriage Radio eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just been going weekly ever since that yes. we try to frame conversations to help people start in their relationship to get to the deeper levels of what they hope can and can taste in that aspect of their life. Mm -hmm. So eight years, um, what are you seeing that has been consistent over the last eight years and what are you seeing that's new? Well, so let's start with the new first um, because what's consistent, I think you probably have the same kind of thing and an insight from your audience. Yeah. Um, the new is there is a little bit of a difference on the way couples will justify and rationalize choices that are just going to be fraught with danger. Mm -hmm. For example? Opening up a marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, and my, our audience is going to be largely, uh, they would label themselves in the Christian umbrella. Mm -hmm. But there's still some that, man, the rational brain can just, you know, we can talk ourselves into the anything, huh? <laughs> if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And so trying to align that with just the moral side of, hold on, there's a design that God had in mind. There's something intentional and sacred about this. And so that's been something that's a trend 
just recently that I hadn't seen before because people are opening up and having those conversations with us about what they're struggling with and what they're thinking about. And so I'm glad to have the conversations, right? Because I want them to have a safe place to let's explore this yeah. together. What hasn't changed is there's a higher desire and there's a lower desire in every marriage when it comes to sex in every topic in my mind. But, and it's the, what has not changed is the higher desire is constantly trying to figure out ways to get the lower desire to have more sex. Mm. And I noticed that you didn't assign gender to that. Well, it's because it's not a gender-specific thing. Right. But very often it's treated... It's stereotyped that yes. way. And we do it, too, on our show. We'll stereotype it just for simplicity to be able to talk male-female, mm-hmm. um, even though we have to always add the caveat of this is not everybody. Because I can think off the top of my head, multiple members of our audience in our academy in the memberships that we have where it's reversed. The woman mm-hmm. is the higher desire. Yeah, and it seems that we've seen an increase in uh, women with a higher desire yeah. and men with very low desire. Yeah. Is that something that you've noticed? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily, I don't know if I'd say it's an increase. I think maybe now it's finally a little more appropriate to talk about it or less taboo mm-hmm. on the way it feels to talk about it because there is, you know, being raised as a male, there is the bravado of, boy, you better have a high drive. And that's not ever a spoken thing. It's just kind of a, if I'm going to fit in with my people, I better, I better be that way. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Okay. Because I don't think most women are aware of that. Okay. Uh, women think about sex with their husband as it's all about pleasing each other. Uh, it's all about needs. And I think sex is often stereotyped for men as a purely physical thing. It's mm-hmm. a need. It's a desire. But what you're hinting at is there's a lot of pressure that even comes from society that enters into the bedroom and how a guy thinks about sex. Sure. And I think, I mean, in some regards, our culture and even the church has made the sexual dynamic a patriarchal thing where it is geared towards the guy. Mm-hmm. And that's really fraught with all kinds of destructive possibilities because then you're starting to talk about it's just obligatory. It's all about his need. It's all about satisfying him. And then when you add society's level to it of the pressure that I think men sexualize things that don't need to be sexualized, Mm -hmm. stress, struggle, pain, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's really easy to, well, I'll just go have sex and that'll boost my validity and my identity a little bit. And if I do that enough, or if I've done that as an adolescent and a young adult, or even maybe still in continuing into my adulthood, if I've done that enough with pornography and masturbation, I've sexualized things that are trying, I'm trying to medicate for Mm -hmm. rather than grief needs to be dealt with, with grief, Mm -hmm. you know, stress needs to be dealt with, with healthier ways to release stress. Not that sex can't be a component of that. But I can't steer it that way. And so I think a lot of times men, we can get caught up in, if I don't feel good about me or I'm uncertain, then I want my wife to help me to do that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways she can do that is to, I mean, this is one of the phrases I use from Dr. Schnarch, is it puts a wife in a predicament of she can either prop up my ego or my penis. She can't do both. Wow. Talk, talk (laughs) more about that. Well, that's the whole idea of if I'm trying to get my validation out of my sexual identity and my conquest and my abilities, then I put my wife in the element of having to prop that up, mm-hmm. which means she's not just having sex with me. 
she's doing it to the lowest common denominator to try to keep me from being angry or pouty or frustrated or treating her poorly. And now that just is the entire different way to look at sex in my mind through the lens of is the sex I'm having worth wanting? Is what I'm seeking from my wife as a husband, as the higher desire? Because in my marriage, I'm the higher desire. Mm -hmm. So is the sex I'm seeking, is it worth having? Mm -hmm. right, am I worth having it with? Mm -hmm. And What or, makes it worth having and what makes you worth it? Oh, that's as varied as each individual. But it's one of those things where am I going after something because there's a covertness to it? Or, I mean, because it's, if you've been married long enough, you know the times where this was one-sided sex, yeah. right? It, it kind of has its own flavor and taste and staleness mm -hmm. even. But it gets the job done, and that serves a role in marriage. But if I can make it much more overt on, hey, and I've actually said this to my wife, you interested in some one-sided sex tonight? Right? Because she knows it's, it's, I'm not looking for a whole big ordeal. I'm just looking for you to satisfy me a little bit. And Is that a good thing? Well, if that's all I'm doing, <laughs> no. But there are times where I mean, there's a... that's pretty unromantic. Well, <laughs> absolutely it is. I'm not saying that romance... This is just a functional level of okay. sex as a language I, yeah, in marriage. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing this to the surface because I think women feel that and probably men feel that mm -hmm. at times. But like you're saying, it's not overtly stated. Right. Most of the time, that is a covert thing that is unfolded. Kind of manipulative? It is completely manipulative. And sometimes even the higher desire isn't even aware that that's what they're seeking. And then when they don't get it, they blame the lower desire but in reality, the lower desire could have better views of the fact that the sex they're having isn't even really worth wanting. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, in some instances, you could actually satisfy that without you. Yeah. Right? You can take care of that need is, and release on is, your own. Which is what a lot of people are doing. Mm-hmm. Which isn't good either. No, I mean, you go, this is the world of extremes, right? If we go to one stream or the other, we got problems. So I feel like we're going down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to keep going down it. Because I think it's important. So you stated that if we were to be just clear about our intentions, we would say something as overt as, are you're, you interested in one-sided sex? Well, the line I use most with her is actually, are you interested in some medium to mediocre level sex? Yeah. Because that's kind of a little more, this is just functional. And I'm your, not, your wife is here laughing. She is laughing say. at And my it. husband's here laughing yeah, too. So. But <laughs> she's one of those because then you're not talking about, because think about it, don't we... We come into relationship and we for sure come into married life. And if you grew up in a Christian household where there was this paradise kind of expected when it comes to your sex life, you know, I've done it right all the way up to this point, And now I want to taste paradise yeah. with my sex life. And most people equate that to, I guess the easiest descriptor of it is vacation sex, hmm. where you're both stress-free, you're engaged, it's fun, there's some adventure to it, there's some novelty even maybe but it's where you're both are involved. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you can't sustain that when you're doing day-to-day -day life. No. <laughs> you yeah. just get, you got kids, you got work, you got bills, you got stress, yeah. parents, you know, all the different things that go on that there's times where I'm just not going to have the energy for that kind of level of production. Right. Right. And so it being able to recognize what am I really trying to seek with this encounter? Okay, so that's better intimacy. Yeah, to me. and there's a difference between. Again, I don't know if I'd ever use these terms, but are you interested in mediocre sex? <laughs> there's a difference between that and one-sided. 
True. Because for a couple to say, we don't have the time, the capacity, the energy for the vacation sex. Right. But this is important. It's an important way for us to connect. Right. That is different than what you're describing, which I think is happening in a lot of marriages, where it is all about, I have a need. And you have the obligation to meet that need. Because you said, I do, so that means do. And the Bible says, it's your duty, Uh, which I hear all the time (laughs) from emails. Oh, but see, that's the thing coming out from the man's side of it, too. Let me just kind of speak to that. There's this element of the abuse of Scripture for the power play to get what we want that's not necessarily virtuous or coming from goodness. Right. Right. That's coming from lowest common denominator, meet this need. That's not coming from a spilling over of selflessness and giving and compassion and love. So what I want to get to to help people identify this is if they're not as honest as you are, what are the manipulative ways that a man or a woman will essentially say, you owe this to me. We need to do this to meet my need. Hmm. It's a great question. Because they're probably going to be as unique as each person's communication pattern. Uh Because I also put it, just let me kind of add a caveat to help frame the conversation. I look at one of the phrases I use with clients uh, and when I get a chance to speak is, we're always having sex, is one way to think about it. Okay, you have to explain that. Well, in marriage, what separates my relationship with my wife from every other one is that aspect alone. Okay. Right? I have sex with her and no one else. That's the beauty and the sacredness of that bond. Mm -hmm. So to steal a phrase from Esther Perel, she has the comment of uh, foreplay starts after orgasm Mm. because you're setting up the next one. So So in other words, we're always being sexual with each other. So there's an interplay of that dynamic somewhere interwoven. Sometimes it's not above the surface and noticed, but there is an element of married life that if I don't treat my wife well just out of goodness and who I am, How am I inviting that to happen in my marriage rather than what most marriages do is they live parallel lives and then when one of them is interested, they all of a sudden turn on the charm or they turn on the chore play or they turn on the different things (laughs) thinking, well, that'll get her interested. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it's not even on her radar. And I used to take offense to that where I would be suggestive and she's like, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm like, how could you not? But that's just our different wiring. Mm -hmm. This is stereotypical. But I think most women are wired to be responsive. Yeah. It's not an innate libido of they just are constantly thinking about sex because they don't have the testosterone level that men, most men do. And so there's an element of just look at the patterns of how you make sex happen in your marriage. And this is an interesting for both listeners, male and female, of how do I know when it's coming from goodness and true what it can be versus... I'm just looking to get an itch scratched. Mm -hmm. Because if you start looking for themes, we always are communicating. Mm -hmm. And the more I can start to see that, how do I just bring that out in the open a little bit more? Because that's going to be disruptive, but it also opens the door to making the covert more overt. Okay. So you've explained it in a way that a therapist can understand. Oh, here we go. Okay. (laughs) So let's break this down. Um, Because what you said is really profound. Okay. That there's always these interpersonal dynamics going on between a husband and wife around sexuality, around sex. Yep. And we don't bring that up. No. In terms of really talking about what's happening. Right. And so a couple can be married for 15, 20 years 
and have this drama playing out again and again and again and never name it. Right. So where do we even start naming it? And you said it's going to be disruptive, which means it's going to create tension, potentially mm -hmm. a conflict. Where do we start with that? Well, first off, the conflict's already there. Okay. It's just become this known thing, mm -hmm. right? So being able to be a little more articulate about it gives empowering for both parties to, the way I term it, play both roles better. Mm -hmm. Because this is not about how do I convince my wife to have more sex. If I could figure that out, that'd be awesome. But I just can't. There's no possible way. I can figure out ways to create better environments or be more inviting. And then I put the pressure on her to say yes or no, or to be engaged or not. And so a lot of it is just how do you start to see the dynamic of the role you play? Because I guess to ask your, ask, have your listeners ask themselves this. Um, one, how does sex happen in my marriage mm -hmm. when it happens? Mm -hmm. And, and then, this is a good conversation to have. No, this is for yourself just for at yourself. this point. How okay. does this happen, right? Mm -hmm. What's my role in helping it happen? Or the flip side of that is how is sex avoided? in yes. my marriage mm -hmm. because we all play roles in avoiding it because that can be the whole your spouse is really interested and he's sending the signals and you're doing everything you, you see him but you just blow right on past him yeah. but you saw him you, you know logically you said oh I know what he's interested in mm -hmm. rather than in that moment what if you said am I reading you right mm -hmm. you totally disrupt the cycle then mm -hmm. are you interested in a little sex and, and he says, I'm interested in a lot. Well, perfect. Well, <laughs> yeah. I can handle maybe one right yeah. now. <laughs> uh -huh. Right? But it's just, it's both of you being more engaged in the dynamic yes. on playing your role rather than trying to play both sides. Because that's mm -hmm. what wears everybody out. Mm -hmm. So it's really a matter of just stating what we're feeling, of stating yep. the obvious. It doesn't have to be a, a fight. Right. It can just be naming what's happening. Right. Because yeah. in married life, you already know if your partner is the higher desire for sex, you already know they're interested. Hey, friends. I'm jumping in just for a minute to let you know that Dr. Corey Allen will be my webinar guest this month on Tuesday, January 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you've got questions right now as you're listening, you'll have a chance to get those questions answered live. If you're an AI member, keep your eye out for the webinar invitation in your email or a members-only Facebook page. We're going to continue the conversation in our webinar talking about high desire, low desire, conflict in marriage, and get really practical about how you and your spouse can break through some barriers to intimacy. Again, we want to answer your questions, so if you'd like to, you can send them ahead of time at info at authenticintimacy.com. And let me remind you, if you're not an AI member, these monthly webinars are a big perk of membership. And if you'd like to check it out, just visit us at AuthenticIntimacy.com slash member. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Corey Allen. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that a person potentially could be low desire in one marriage because they're married to a high desire person? And if they had been married to someone else, maybe they'd be the Absolutely, yeah. Because I think those are just points on a continuum to me. They're yeah. Neither one is right or wrong. But also, I think we get in a pattern mm -hmm. uh, when you learn to either be pursuing because mm -hmm. you don't think you're going to get it, or you learn to be like kind of stonewalling yep. because it's too much. Yep. And uh, then there can even be a switch of that in the same relationship where something happens with the biology of somebody um, as a man ages and his testosterone typically can go down or he starts working out less or he does some of the different things or just stress 
that's the biggest killer for libido for men yeah. is stress and that's why masturbation becomes so prominent because there's less there's no rejection mm -hmm. with pornography and masturbation mm -hmm. there is rejection if I bring it to my wife okay so uh, let's talk about that for okay. a few minutes you bring up this word rejection yep and that's a big thing for men or women yes and for the high desire person that's a real fear mm -hmm. of if I initiate again will I be rejected but we also talked earlier about how it's not a good idea just to respond because that person needs it. Right. So what's the answer then? If, let's say, for example, a woman doesn't want to reject her husband. Okay. But she also doesn't want to just say, well, this is my duty. Right. How do you resolve that? So from the woman's side? Or the man's. We can talk do, about it. Let's do both. Scenarios. Um, and we'll put them in the, for the sake of this conversation, the woman is lower desire. Okay. Okay. So in that case, a woman is caught because both higher desire and lower desire have a burden on them. Mm -hmm. Neither one is better and neither one is without pressure mm -hmm. or without the fear of rejection. So the lower desire wife in this instance, she can get into, needs to start asking herself more of the questions of, okay, what's my history with this? Because for a lot of wives, and I don't know if your audience fits this or if you fit this too, to kind of you're getting personal with me, I'm going to come yeah, right back at you, Miss Julie, yep. um, is I may not be interested in it, but once I get going, I am, right? right? All of a sudden, I realize I do like this. Yes. This is good. And so even just bringing that to bear, and this is one of the things that shifted for Pam and I, was when sex, and this was early on when we were trying to just, I was trying to be much more honest about what I was seeking and what was going on. And she responded in kind with, uh, I would interest her, uh, hey, you interested in some sex tonight? And she would be, no, but I could be. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different shift mm -hmm. rather than no. Yeah. Or even no, not right now, but how about tomorrow right. morning? Right. And yeah. so adding those little things shifts the whole interplay between us yeah. to where it then puts the pressure on both of our shoulders to play our role better to be engaged better. And so for a wife, I think if she recognizes this is something I like, this is something I enjoy, and it's a, I like playing that role for my husband too, that's like the win-win in a sense. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, well then, are you willing to take the next courageous step to try to figure out if I'm just doing this for him and it's nothing for me, I'm really not doing anything for either of us then. Yeah. Because I come after men a lot in my audience on as the higher desire that when you settle for crumbs with what's being given out on the least bit of a, you know what's the littlest I have to do in this instance then that's what's going to continue to happen mm. but most men will say that as well but at least it's sex I'm like, yeah but it's lousy sex mm -hmm. so how do you take the courage of is this even worth wanting and am I willing to go without to see to both of us shift in how we approach this to create something new and different mm -hmm. or do we continue the pattern we've had mm -hmm. when you say go without a lot of people like their ears perk up mm -hmm. because the assumption in marriage is you should never have to go without sure and i've talked to both men and women who are on the verge of divorce for no other reason than i'm not getting enough sex right like we communicate well i love my spouse we love our kids but this is a key part of marriage, and, and it's not happening, right. so God would want me to get divorced. No. 
um, I don't like that last little addendum of well, God would I, want I me. Know, I get it. I, I, I know, but that's, that's you that's, said we justify. That's, that's the way. Yeah, that's, that's the rationalization but, hamster work. The assumption underneath is that if sex is not happening, or even good sex or mm-hmm. frequent sex is not happening, then the marriage is null and void. I mean, people are making that assumption. I get you. And to say, are you willing to go without? Whether well, it be for days or in the case of... And I'm not necessarily saying that's the move that's like, you know, like, fine, I'll sit back and pout yeah. and treat you poorly to make you know how stalwart I am. And, yeah. and that's not inviting. Mm-hmm. But coming at it from a standpoint of, look, I'm looking at our dynamic. Because let's just, I don't know how we haven't come up to this point already, but look at it this way. There's a functional level of sex, and then there's a level of sex of having sex with the person that that genitalia is attached to. And I think if we really talk about what we want, I want the person I'm with, so, not just yeah. their genitalia. So, like, I talk about it, the difference between sexual activity and sexual intimacy. Okay. That's great framework right there. That being able to see it as this is not just about reaching an orgasm or ejaculating or whatever it is. This is about tasting the essence of another person, too, and them experiencing me. That, that moves you from the functional level or the activity to something so much deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's where we want to get people to even know it's possible. Absolutely. And I think that's where we get glimpses of it. We maybe have revisionist history memories of it from when we were first married. And it seemed like it was so easy and so great. And then you realize, wow, there's so much more because I am so much more. Mm-hmm. And that's where most, I mean, the research I've come across that talks about the real depth of connection and intimacy. You're talking well into married life because you're talking about well into your own development as a human and being. Absolutely. And that's, I think, where we have a lot of common ground. And mm-hmm. what we're passionate about is the marriage is just the beginning. And right. the church has presented it as the finish line right? in terms of sexuality. Like, you got there. If you managed to be right. a virgin, you're good. Yeah. But it's the beginning of a journey of maturity Right. That nobody seems to want to talk about. Yeah, I would think of marriage, if you're talking about sex and marriage, you're talking about personal development boot camp. Yeah, amen. Is, is really the best way to yeah, look at it. spiritual that, development. Absolutely. Yeah. I think God cares more about our character and our wisdom development than he does our orgasm and our good time. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you one more question mm-hmm. related to when the woman is the higher desire. Okay. And... This is just the facts of how we're created and how our bodies work. If the woman is a lower desire, even if she's not in the mood, even if she feels like she's never in the mood, right. she can do it. Right. She can be available. Right. But when it's the high desire woman and she's pursuing this man who you add upon right. every yeah. other reason that he's low desire, you add now you've got, what if I can't perform? Can't, yeah, or and with a lot of lower desire men, it's because of that. And yeah. then there is a reality of, if I can't get an erection, you can't do normal penile vaginal intercourse. Right. Then. So how does a couple navigate that? So one of the tenets of the higher desire, lower desire framework is a majority, a bulk of the responsibility of initiation is on the higher desire because they're the one interested in what they want more. Mm-hmm. And so... That's part of their role. Mm-hmm. The lower desire becomes the gatekeeper because they could say yes or no. Mm-hmm. But for, and so for a lot of women, when they have to make that shift to, wow, the risk of rejection hurts 
it's deeper. And men have a little bit of a different wiring that I think allows us to step up to the plate a little easier, knowing I may strike out. Because in, in, I guess, leave this as a baseline. We all are going to get rejected when it comes to sex. Within marriage. Absolutely. So seeing it as how do I pursue what I'm interested in? And then how do I start to redefine sex isn't just penal vaginal intercourse. Some of the most romantic and engaging and erotic moments might have nothing to do with intercourse. Mm -hmm. They might have to do with experimenting with different things with oral or different things with other digits or body parts and Mm -hmm. recognizing that, and I tell men this, if you can't get an erect penis, your fingers and your tongue still work. And I don't can, think anybody's ever said that on job with Julie, that clearly. <laughs> so We talk about a lot of things, but you're very frank about it, and I appreciate well, that. Well, I think we have not done well enough with this subject mm-hmm. that if we don't just cut straight to it, we're not doing it a good service. Mm-hmm. Because I think my experience, and I'm assuming yours is too, since you're talking about this kind of subject mm-hmm. as well, is there is so much pain and trauma and struggle with this aspect of life, that there's an element of to cut through the noise, you've got to just be blatant. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I think part of what you're describing is, and this could be for men and women, that when you approach your partner asking for sex, perhaps you might reframe that as asking for intimacy or I want to be sexual with you. Right. It doesn't have to look like, nor should it always look like, this picture of what we think sex to be. Sure. And well, but even, and this is where personal development boot camp comes in because one, I don't like the idea of asking for sex because if anytime I frame something I want as a possibility of a yes or no, it's very easy for the lower desire to just go no by default. Because even if it's something I really want, our reaction can easily be nope because it's not on my radar, doesn't fit with my framework right now, so I'm not interested. So instead it's how do I initiate, how do I be intentional how do I be a little more upfront about it? But the other thing is recognizing that as I'm going through this process and I start examining myself and my role in this process, how am I evolving to challenge my role to be better, to be more engaging, to be more upfront, to be honest? about what I'm looking for, to be honest about where I am at that moment. Because sometimes the higher desire husband, and I'll throw us under the bus, will come at it with, I really just want to connect with you tonight. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of the, you know, we light some candles and we create the nice environment and we start the whole process and then sex maybe doesn't happen because she just doesn't, she isn't responsive. Mm -hmm. And so then I storm off. And what I was saying is I want to connect with you was a lie because all of that point up to that point of actually not actually having sex was still connection. Mm -hmm. And so how do I stay in it and realize if I say I want connection, that's not just as when my penis is inside your vagina Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that I can connect with you in a lot of ways. So how am I more upfront about that? to see it as, okay, so that didn't work. Well, then I'll stay and let's cuddle, let's hang out, we'll keep talking, we maybe even pray. You know, there's other things that maybe that steers the ship. Maybe it doesn't, but I still cannot real, I can't throw everything out and think, well, that was a failure. No, it wasn't. I got good information about my role, my partner's role. Now, what do each of us want? 
Let's talk about ED for a minute, okay. um, whether it's because of medication or emotional reasons or aging. Right. What is the impact of that on a man and on the marriage going forward? Oh, so there is a close tie between a man's confidence and identity and those six to nine inches of a penis when it's erect. Mm. <laughs> that if I can get erect, then that's my... I am all man. And if I can't, well, there I'm not. And it's so closely tied. I think if you kind of look at it, we have a boy that's 12, but from the moment he discovered his penis, he always had to check to make mm-hmm. sure it was there. You know, there's an element of a man and his penis. There's a great relationship there. So it's seeing it as that there's so much to realize that, wait, that's just an appendage. Mm-hmm. And so if I have an, any kind of trouble, or let me reframe it, when I have trouble mm-hmm. in sex, whether it's ED, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, any of those things that can happen, okay, how do I take that as data point? What else is going around? What do I need to do? What else still works on me that I can still provide pleasure and get pleasure from and just kind of look at it as the whole being, not just an appendage? Mm-hmm. How does a wife help with that process? Sometimes it's not, the wife has no problem with it. Right. But her husband now avoids sex because right. of the fear. So then it's, I'm pleased to hear that sometimes a wife doesn't have problems with it. Most of the couples I work with, when this is an issue, she takes it personally. Mm. She looks at it as he's not attracted to me. That's why he couldn't get an erection. Whereas mm-hmm. that erection or lack thereof may have and likely has nothing to do with her. Mm-hmm. She's a sexually vibrant and attractive creature. So depersonalizing it is the route I go with a lot of women to realize that's a him issue. Maybe your femininity could draw it back out of him in time. Your confidence could draw it out of him in time. And your courage to be supportive alongside his courage of, I'm going to seek answers. I'm going to seek what are my options to explore. That's helpful. Yeah. So you've been married how long, Corey? 26 years. 26 years. Okay, I've been married 25, so about the same amount of time. We've learned a lot in this journey in our respective marriages. If you had a couple sitting in front of you that's 25 years old, just married a week or two, and you could give them one piece of advice, they're not going to understand what we just explained. They have to go on that journey. But what should they start with? Um, Just in general for their marriage? For their sexual aspect. For their sexual aspect. So this metaphor, I'm going to kind of go marriage and then sexual, because it works both, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the best things I've heard when you're talking about doing marriage really well is create, each of you create great cakes of life and then let the marriage be the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Too often we flip those things. My marriage is all. And I'm, you know, the the biblical version of that is two shall become one. So I cease to exist as an individual. I don't agree with Mm -hmm. that. I think we're still individuals and we're still responsible for ourselves. The same thing can be applied to your sex life that the chance I get to connect with my partner is the cake. The orgasm is the icing on the cake. Mm. Sometimes I don't have to have icing to have a cake that's really good. Mm. And so if I can start to see that what's the bigger story of the connection, and even if, and this kind of goes with your framework, even if that intimacy is incredibly uncomfortable, it's still intimacy. Mm. Because intimacy is not always going to be comforting when I know someone else and they know me. There's parts of that that's like, that freaks me out. (laughs) Well, as I just mentioned, I really appreciate how Dr. Allen just spoke so frankly throughout our conversation. 
He said it well, as he mentioned, there's so much hurt and confusion around issues of sexuality. In order to cut through all that noise, we just have to be frank. If you'd like to hear more from Corey, I encourage you to join us Tuesday, January 21st at 7 o'clock Eastern Time for our members-only webinar. We'll be taking your questions live. You can send us those questions ahead of time, or you can always just type them in during the webinar. So look for that invitation in your inbox or on our members-only Facebook group. We'll also link to Corey's podcast, Sexy Marriage Radio, on our podcast page. You can find out all that and more at AuthenticIntimacy.com. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to having coffee with you next time on Java with Julie.